right, let's pray and uh, let's, let's jump into the word together. It's a good word this morning. Father, we love you and we acknowledge that there is none like you in all of the earth and in all of the heavens throughout all of eternity past and future. You reserve the right, the exclusive right to be God. You are, I am you are a perfect father and you are perfect in all of your ways. And we truly can say, as the psalmist of old said, that I will bless the Lord at all times, at all times. And your praise will always continually, ceaselessly be on my lips. And so, Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters today, those that are walking through difficult times that you would bolster our faith today, that you would do what you have already begun doing and what you have promised to perfect and that you would comfort us and strengthen us and allow us to see you afresh and anew. So we just declare today that we lift up our eyes unto the mountains from whence comes our help. My help is in you maker of heaven and earth. We bless you today. We ask for the ministry of the Holy Spirit to counsel, teach, to exhort, to comfort, and to encourage us today. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. You are honored here. You are desired here. And we thank you for the ministry that you provide. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Today I wanna talk for a few minutes here on what to do when we don't understand. What, what do we do? What do we do when we don't understand? I picked up a book a couple of days ago by a prolific author by the name of Timothy Keller. It's a fantastic book, and it's called Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. And in the preface of that book, into the introduction, he lays out a very masterful treatise for this fundamental point very simply that pain and suffering are a reality in our world and we cannot and will not escape it we don't like to acknowledge that we don't like to think about it but the truth is is that in the human experiment in the human experience and in the human journey pain and suffering are a reality and we cannot escape them we see this throughout all the scriptures, through the entrance of sin into the world, the entrance of sin introduced pain and it introduced suffering. And with that, there will be questions that come. And friends, I want you to know today that many times those questions, we just simply don't have accurate or adequate answers for. <clears throat> I heard a message many years ago that I've used very often in, in leadership. And the principle or the axiom that I heard within this message very simply was, is that leadership is a journey into uncertainty. If we didn't have uncertainty, if everything was clear, if everything was known, then we really wouldn't have the need for leaders. And I've used that for the past 15 years in my leadership because there's a lot that I don't know. And so the principle there was that when you face uncertainty, focus on clarity. And I realized here not too long ago that that's not just a leadership principle, that's a life principle. That's a faith principle. That's a Christian principle. That's a principle that helps guide us 
in the midst of uncertainty because the truth is, is that the human journey and the Christian journey is a journey of uncertainty. We don't have complete answers for everything that happens in life. There are moments of uncertainty in our life. And when we encounter those moments of uncertainty, what we must focus on, friends, is clarity. So I wanna give you a couple things this morning that we can be clear on. Number one, if you're taking notes, we can be clear that God is good. You know, when you're going through difficult times, the songs and the anthems that we sing take on a whole different color of meaning in your life. We've sung many of these songs hundreds, if not thousands of times. But they mean something different. They mean something different in the valley than they mean on the mountaintop. In the sun and rain, my life will proclaim that you are good. That means something a little bit different when you don't understand. It means something different when you're hurting and you can, by the Spirit of God, announce to the heavens and to the earth and you can announce to your soul, he is good. And I'm not going to deny his goodness simply because in this moment, I am hurting. He's good and he's perfect and he's faithful and he's just and he's true. And I want you to know today that no matter what you're going through, nothing will change that fact. A.W. Tozer's classic work, The Knowledge of the Holy, one of the chapters in that book, Tozer talks about the infinitude of God. He talks about the eternal nature of God. And very simply, theologically, what that means is that God cannot change. It means that who he is, he has always been and he will always be that. And if he says that he's good, it means that his goodness stands as an anchor regardless of the shifting shadows and seasons of the situations around us. He's good and it doesn't change. It is steadfast. It is firm. It is like a rock. His goodness does not change. Scripture says in Psalm 136, verse one, Psalm 136, one says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Now we can give thanks to him in all times because he's good. We may not be able to thank him for what's happening, but we can thank him that he's good in the midst of what's happening. And it says that his loving kindness is everlasting. It means that his loving kindness will go on throughout all of eternity. The word good there means good and pleasant and beautiful and excellent and lovely and delightful and kind and correct. It means moral goodness as opposed to evil. It means in all times, he's excellent, God. You're lovely, you're beautiful, you're perfect in all of your ways at all times. In the ugliness of life, you are beautiful and that will never change. Deuteronomy chapter seven, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Deuteronomy Chapter seven, we'll also put it on the screen, verse nine. This is God, the context here, leading his people out of 400 years of bondage and slavery to a very, very cruel oppressor in Egypt. And the nation of Israel, the children of Israel are on the brink of passing over into the place of their promise. And here's what God tells them. The preceding eight verses in chapter seven God is instructing the people through his son and servant, Moses, 
to not forget the goodness of the Lord. Essentially, he is saying, when you go into this place of promise, don't forget what I've done for you, what I've done in you, what I've done through you. And one of the constant themes the scripture talks about is the power of rehearsal. The power of rehearsal. Rehearsing the character and the nature and the goodness of God. And then this is what he says here in verse nine. Know therefore that the Lord your God, he is God, he is the faithful God. Just say that with me. Say he's the faithful God. Now make it personal. Say you are the faithful God. He keeps his covenant and his loving kindness to a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. Friends, I want you to know that in the midst of sinking sand, he is the faithful God and he is a covenant-keeping God. He is a covenant-keeping God. Scripture says in Romans 8, 28, that not only is he good, but he's working all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Today, you and I have the great, great, great hope inside of us that if we know God and if we love him and we're following hard after him, he says, difficult things indeed will come. Jesus promised us that. In the last verse of John 16, he says, troubles will come. But this is what we can take hope in. This is the clarity in the midst of uncertainty. Very simply, it's this. He said, listen, listen, listen. I'm working all of those things together for good. I'm working, I'm weaving them together. I'm coordinating them together. I'm taking those things that are hard, that are painful, that you don't understand, and I'm gonna use those things, and I'm gonna get glory out of those things. I'm gonna redeem those things. It's like Joseph, many of you know the story. Joseph, who was sold by his own brothers, betrayed by his own brothers, thrown into Pharaoh's house, thrown into Potiphar's house, thrown into prison, lied about, all of those things happened. And this is what he says at the end of his days, he says all those things that the enemy designed and determined for evil, God has worked them out for good. I'm sure Joseph asked a lot of questions when he was in the middle of that prison. But at the end of his days, when he was used marvelously by the Lord as an instrument to redeem so many people's lives, I'm sure he could look back and he could say, I didn't understand it, and it was hard, but God is good, and he has worked this together for his good. The next thing that we can take great, great clarity in the midst of uncertainty is, number two, he will never leave us. He will never leave you. I just want to get that deep into your soul. He'll never leave you. He'll never leave you. He'll never abandon you. He'll never forsake you. We don't live by our feelings. We live by the certainty of this truth that he is always with us. And I also believe that he draws near to us. Let's look at a couple of verses here. For the sake of time, I'm just gonna focus on Psalm 23. If you're taking notes, you can write down Hebrews 13, 5, which very, very simply says that he will never leave us nor forsake us. Very classic verse in Christian faith and culture. But Psalm 23, another very Important verse here says, even though I walk through, verse four, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you're with me. 
The New Living Translation says it like this, even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid because you're close beside me. I like that. Even when I walk through the darkest season, even when I walk through the most pressing time of my life, you're close beside me. Number three, we can take courage in this clarity that not only will he not leave us, not only will he not forsake us, but the scripture promises that he is near to the brokenhearted. He is near to the brokenhearted. Take a look at these verses, Psalm 34, 18. We read this today, Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. He is near to the brokenhearted. Friend, today I want you to know that he is not only present, he's near. And that he actually draws near. I believe that there is much like a parent hears a certain tenor and a tone in a child's voice. How many moms and dads know what I'm talking about? There's the whiny cry, I, you know, the one that we typically kind of tune out. There's all different, there's different kinds of cries in our kids' voices. But then there's a cry where you know this one is important. It's the kind of cry that causes you to leap up out of your chair and run upstairs or downstairs or run into the living room or it, 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 it beckons you to come close. It's that kind of cry. It's a cry that says, I, I need you. And there is a cry like that inside of the heart of, every son and daughter of the Lord that actually, it attracts the heart of God to us. Friend, he's near. He's near to the brokenhearted. In the Beatitudes, Jesus said this in Matthew 5, 44. He says, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. There is a comfort that's available to you today, friend. It's, it's not, it's not in the mediums of this world. There is, there is an altogether separate source and quality. It's a quality of comfort that the world cannot provide. It is a source and it is a quality of comfort that actually ends up restoring your soul and it restores your faith and it strengthens your spirit. And it's a comfort that does not just appeal to your soul. It is a comfort that draws you near to God. It is a comfort that gives you a testimony. It is a comfort that brings you perspective in the midst of confusion. There is a comfort that's available. I love the verse that Pastor David read for us this morning in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 through 4. He read this, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus. He is the Father of mercies and he's the God of all comfort. He's the God of all comfort. He comforts us in our afflictions. In the midst of our afflictions, God is present and he's near to comfort you, to bolster you, to strengthen you, to encourage you so that we may be able to comfort those in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves have received from God. As he read that this morning, I was reminded of 
for lack of better words, I'm gonna call this the sacrament of holy community. Because there is a comfort that comes through the people of God. Timothy Keller writes in his book, I thought this was a brilliant statement. He says that when we walk through suffering, we become very, very well of this, very well aware of this one fact that we do not have the resources within ourselves to sustain the suffering and pain that we're walking through. The resources come from God, but they also come from the people of God. One thing that I've become very, very well aware of here in the past few weeks is some of the pain that is within the story of our family members here and how you are leveraging the pain of your story of years ago to now provide comfort and strength and hope. And some of you, by mere virtue of the fact of what you've walked through and you're still standing and you're still loving God and you're still lifting up your hands and you're still pressing into him and you're still trusting him in the midst of you weathering those storms, the very fact that you're here is a testimony. The very fact that you're here brings strength and comfort to those that are around you. I commend you, every single one of you that are here today. Some of you are here today because you're seeking. Some of you are here today because someone invited you, but some of you are here today through very, very horrific storms of your life and you're still standing on a rock that is immovable. And I just wanna say to you, well done, well done. Number four, there is a clarity in the midst of uncertainty and that is very simply that there is a blessed hope for those who believe. If nothing else in this world, the believer has this one great advantage. I believe there are many. But if nothing else, we have this one great advantage and that very simply is this. We know that what happens here on this earth is not the end of the story. There is a blessed hope. You have a blessed hope, friend. You have a blessed hope. This is not the end. The rest of our days is not gonna be filled throughout all of eternity with pain and suffering and injustice. We have a blessed hope of eternity in Christ Jesus. Listen to some of these scriptures. A couple of thoughts here. You need to understand that we don't just place our hope in God. We have to understand that there is a hope that is from God that is available. It is a hope that is spiritual in nature that actually comes from the Father. Look with me, if you would, at Psalm 62. I wish I had time to just read this entire psalm to you because of the richness of it. I'm just gonna read a couple of verses here. I'll begin in verse one. My soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. I wanna speak over to you today. I wanna speak into you today that you will not be shaken. How many, how long will you assault a man? Would all of you throw him down? This leaning wall, this tottering fence, they fully intend to topple him from his lofty place. 
They take delight in lies. With their mouths they bless and their hearts they curse. Verse five, find rest, O my soul, in God alone, for my hope comes from him. Notice he didn't just say my hope is in him. He says that there is a hope that literally comes from him. Where do we find hope in the midst of seemingly hopeless situations? Where do we find that? You can't just conjure that up. We don't just muster hope up. We find hope from him. He supplies it to us. Like breath in our lungs, he gives us strength in our spirit, the strength of hope that leads to faith. Listen to this here in Romans chapter 15, verse 13. What a powerful verse I discovered. Romans 15, 13 says, Now may the God of hope, my brothers and sisters, that's who he is. He's the God of hope. He will fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, when I hear power, I think signs and wonders and raising people from the dead. And, and that's, that's just where my mind goes when I hear power. There is a power of the Holy Spirit that is available to produce hope in you. Let me, let me say this another way. When you feel hopeless, the power of the Holy Spirit will produce hope inside of you. Here's another way of looking at this. The same Spirit and the same power through that Spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead, the same Holy Spirit and the same power of that Holy Spirit to raise Christ will fill you with hope. He'll put life inside of your spirit when you feel like giving up. How many of you guys have been in situations in your life when you know, you know, I'm reminded of how the psalmist says, my tears are my food. Very, very real. I've been in situations like that where just the pain, the grief, the groaning, the suffering, and you find yourself just weeping. And like the psalmist said, it's like nothing will console me and my tears are my food. Day and night, I weep before the Lord. And you feel there's no energy, there's no resources. How many of you guys have been in situations like that in your life? And this is what he says. He says, here's, here's what'll happen. The power of the Holy Spirit will give you hope. He will help you believe. He will set your eyes on the right things. Without hope, we're hopeless. We were born into a living hope. When you and I became born again in Christ Jesus, we were born again into a living hope. Listen to this here in 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. 1 Peter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope. You and I live in a living hope. You need to understand that. When you're going through the hardest moments of your life, you need to understand that you've been born again into a living hope. This hope inside of you is not just a belief. It's not just a thought. It is a living hope. It's growing inside of you through the resurrection 
of Jesus from the dead. For the purpose of, look at verse four, to obtain inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and it will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Number five, in the midst of uncertainty, you can be clear that the righteous will live by faith. Classic scripture I memorized as a young boy in 2 Corinthians 5, 7. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 very simply says, we walk by faith, not by sight. Many of you have been, boy, I tell you, Antioch, you are, you're a great, you're a great church. You're a great family. You guys have, you guys have just, um, you guys have blessed me and you've blessed Jonathan and Bonnie more than you'll ever know. More than you'll ever know. Your heart, your prayers. Some of you have fasted for these guys. Some of you have taken night watches and praying for them. Asking Christy how they're doing, asking me how they're doing. Some of you have jumped on Facebook and reposted different things with their journey. And I wanna say thank you. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for carrying that young family. For those of you who might not be aware of what's going on, we have some friends of our house, son and daughter of this house, in the spirit. And um, on Thursday, June the 11th, at a baby boy, Oliver Jude Swindle. He was immediately life-flighted the next day to Oklahoma City from Tulsa uh, where he underwent a heart surgery. And then for the next 20 days, he literally fought for his life with the help and the strength of his parents, friends, and family, and literally people all over the world. It's amazing. It's pretty amazing to watch the body of Christ all around the world direct their hearts and their prayers towards this family and this little baby. Uh, for those of you who are not aware, this past Wednesday, on July the 1st, Oliver slipped away from this world and he went to go be with Jesus. Christy and I leave immediately after service to go be with Jonathan and Bonnie and they've asked for me to be a part of the memorial service tomorrow and so I really could use your prayers as I... Uh, Help to bring words of comfort and words of grace into this situation. You know, when situations like this happen, there's a flood of questions that come. I want you to know today that God is big enough for your questions. And not only is he big enough for your questions, he's not offended by any question. I said this to Jonathan I've said this to other brothers and sisters that I'm walking through very difficult roads with. I said, listen, I want you to know there's no question that's off the table. There's no question that may enter into your heart or mind that is off the table with God. I think the Psalms gives us a very real and a very accurate picture of what that means. When you read through the Psalms, you read through the journal entries and the diary entries of people that suffered very, very difficult things 
And they were very raw sometimes with their emotions and thoughts. And sometimes they even seemed very accusatory towards God. But what I love about the Psalms is in the midst of them processing their pain and their emotions, they always come back to a place, but God, yet will I serve you. Yet will I praise you. You are still good. You are still who you say you are. Questions do not necessarily indicate a lack of faith. I want to just free you from that. They're real, they're natural, they're normal, they're to be expected. When you question things that go awry or they don't go the way that you expected to, they don't indicate a lack of faith. I had a youth pastor in my life went through a major disappointment. And I remember he called me out of the blue and he said, Jade, I just want to call you and encourage you in the midst of this major setback and this major disappointment. It was the summer between my senior year of high school and my first year of college. And he says, I want you to know that if God did everything that we wanted him to do, he would not be God. Friends, we don't follow God because he does what we expect him to do. We don't love him because he does what we want him to do or demand him to do or hope that he'll do. We love him and we serve him and we trust him and we follow him because he is who he says he is. He's God and he's a good father and he's perfect in all of his ways. The last thing that we can be certain of as I close this morning is that there is a praise that is available for you. There is a praise, it's called a sacrifice of praise. In fact, I, I think I mentioned this, I don't remember when I mentioned it in the past couple of weeks, but there is a more costly praise. You know, it costs something to lift your hands when your child is no longer with you. That costs you something. It costs you something when you carry something in your womb and then you lose that. That costs. That's not easy. It costs you to lift up your hands and open up your mouth when you lost your job or where you don't know where your paycheck is gonna come from or when you've been accused by your coworkers. That costs something. That's precious. That's precious. That's special. I wanna encourage you, I wanna give you just a, a little bit of perspective today. You, you, can, you can waste that offering. I don't say that from a condemning standpoint. What I'm saying is, is that when that comes to you, when, that, when, that, when the gift of that opportunity comes to you, you can waste that. You can waste that in bitterness or you can waste it in apathy or you can waste it in, in confusion and frustration or you could spend that on God. You have something that not many other people have when you experience those types of difficulties You've been given something that other people don't have. You've been given a costly offering to give to the master. Hebrews 13, 15 says, through him then, through Jesus, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. Is the fruit of lips that give thanks 
to his name. I wanna read that one more time. Let us continually offer a sacrifice of praise. The word sacrifice there means sacrifice. The, the, the Greek really doesn't, you know, you, you start looking for other nuances. It's, I was like, that, that says exactly what it means. I don't really, it, it means sacrifice. It means something that costs you something. It means offering. It means something you give. But what I thought was interesting is the word there to give thanks. Let us continually offer a sacrifice of praise to God, the fruit of lips that give thanks. The word literally means to confess. It's a compound word in the Greek, homologia. Homo meaning the same, logia from the word logos. It means to say the same thing. It means to say exactly the same thing. Many times the word is translated as confess or to speak in the same manner. So let's look at that again. When we offer a sacrifice of praise to God, the fruit of lips that speak the same thing to his name, that confess what God is saying. Friend, listen, the best thing that we can do in difficult situations is say what God is saying. That is the best thing that we can do with our words. It doesn't mean that we can't hurt. It doesn't mean we can't ask why. It doesn't mean that we can't pour out our frustrations. But as we are walking through that journey, there comes a place. I wanna encourage you today. There is a place. There is a place that you can get to where you will say the same things that God is saying. That he'll give you revelation and he'll give you perspective and you'll find yourself confessing to the power of his name. This is what. God is saying. I want to close today by reading this psalm to you in Psalm 42. In fact, if you, I think it might be powerful if we just read this together on the screen. Psalm 42, we're going to just, we're going to read the entire psalm. It's, it's not very lengthy. And then, um, in fact, why don't we just stand here at the reading of the word and, and then I want to pray for you, comfort and strength and grace and hope and peace upon every single one of you. How many of you would say that at this juncture of the journey that it's, it's a difficult season? Okay, let me just see some hands here. There, there's a lot of us here in the body that are, that are walking through some things. We're gonna link hands together here in a minute and we'll pray comfort and strength and encouragement into one another. Let's just, let's just read this, but also let's, let's confess it. Let's declare it with the spirit of faith today altogether. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember and I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go along with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with the voice of joy and thanksgiving, a multitude keeping festival. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. 
Oh my God, my soul is in despair within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of the Jordan and the peaks of Hermon from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep at the sound of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have rolled over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime and his song will be with me in the night, a prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As a shattering of my bones, my adversaries revile me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. We just say this today, God. I shall yet praise you. I shall yet praise you. We thank you that joy comes in the morning. Weeping may endure through a night. And for those of my friends today, and if you, if you would, if you're comfortable with this, just grab the hand of a person next to you. You may be close enough where you could even just put a hand on their shoulder, on their back. I pray for you today, Antioch, that those of you who are walking through a night hour where tears are your food, where questions beriddle you, I pray for you. We pray for one another. May the God of hope fill you with the abundance of hope by the power of His Holy Spirit. May the Father of all mercy comfort you. Blessed are those who mourn. They will be comforted. I will hope in you, my God. I will put my hope in you. For my help and my hope come from you. You are the source of my hope. We have been saved into a living hope through the resurrection of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus. We are not without hope. Our hope is in you. Our strength is in you. Our peace is in you. Our grace is in you. And we announce with lips of clay, you are good. I have been young and now I am old and I declare today that you are good. Yet will I praise you. Church, just let praise arise from you. Give him the costly. Give him the costly this morning. Yet will I praise you. Yet will I praise you. 
you have always been good to us. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. You're a good, good father. I want us just to declare this today, to sing it over our soul.